Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I am your host, Cade Webb. And as always, I'm joined by Dustin Ragusa for what could be a little bit more somber podcast than you're used to, but we're going to do our best to break it down for you. Not the same vibe as it was last week when we talked, right, Dustin? Yeah, the first podcast after a loss. It's going to have to come at some point. And uh, Iowa State's a fine one for me, Yeah, I guess. I'm just glad we didn't quit, you know? I'm glad we didn't quit the podcast after a loss. Uh I honestly thought about it. I thought about messaging you and just saying I'm done. But yeah, well, lesser a lesser man would have, and lesser men would have quit. But uh, we did not. We're still here to bring you all this content, all this fantastic breakdown of what went right, what went wrong, and what may be overblown um, in Ames. And I think we may talk a lot about that third one. But um, this will this podcast may have an interesting tone. I, you know Dustin and I well by now, I would assume. And um, if if shouting or getting crazy is is part of your you know jive, it may not be the podcast for you. Uh, this is just probably not the podcast for you. But we'll break this down honestly. And um, you know, there, yeah, <laughs> we're very chill. Win or loss, yeah, extremely chill. I didn't almost blow my knee out on that Presley touchdown, but uh, no, we're just. Honestly, man, and we can get into it this way. I, I feel it wasn't better. that bad of a loss. I feel better yeah. about Oklahoma State as a football team than I did before, if yeah. that's even possible. Yeah, and when you and I were talking last week, I don't think either of us really thought from our game predictions based on our scores that it was going to be a blowout either way. Grinded out game. We saw Oklahoma State stick to their game plan on offense, do what they've done all season on defense, and couple plays swing Iowa State's way, and that's how the game ends up, a three-point victory for them. Well, and the box score tells it, and rarely does the box score tell the entire story, but I wrote this down. Spencer Sanders' QB rating, 83.5. Brock Purdy's QB rating, 84.5. Jalen Warren, 18 carries for 71 yards, and Brees Hall, 20 carries for 77 yards and a touchdown. So – just that right there is like, where did this game break? And it's it's not rocket science. You know, the possession no turnovers, no turnovers for either side. It was an extremely clean game. I told Dustin before we got on, on the pod, um, I thought Iowa State looked better and more fundamentally sound than I expected. And really, since I think that I've seen them play Oklahoma State, that was their most complete game against Oklahoma State maybe since like 2011, honestly. Um, And as much as that hurts to say and that it came at that time, um, you do have to give it up to them at some point because you look at that 15-play drive, you look at what they were able to do in the third quarter. um, That's a good football team, and you can tell they're well-coached. I don't say that to heap praise on Iowa State. I hate those guys. I'm sick of them at this (laughs) point. I hate them almost like I hate OU, but – you do have to give them a little bit of credit. Right. And I don't think Oklahoma state beat themselves. And I don't think that the, you know, the topic of the day being coaching decisions in the game, field goals to kick or not kick. That's not what lost Oklahoma state. The game Mike Gundy nailed it in his post game. They made the last play. And to me, that's what it came down to. Yeah, I completely agree. And on the on the offensive side of the ball, just to kind of start there, if that's if that's cool with the UK. 
Absolutely. Just kind of starting on that side. We saw Oklahoma State. You and I talked about it. Everybody's talked about it. Uh, the guys we talked to, Adam Lunt, our friend of the pod, they stuck to what they do. They stuck to their zone running scheme. I have it down. I'll put all this out on Twitter. But 23 zone carries for 106 yards, 4.6 yards a carry. Other than that, there were some QB scrambles, option play, uh, counter. But it was mainly zone, some split, inside, outside. Some of that could looked like it could have been duo at times. Again, I said that those pretty similar to uh, inside zone but they stuck to that it worked pretty well in the first half in the second half we saw Iowa State Gundy even mentioned it on his Mike Gundy radio show they started playing their safeties not not way more shallow just a little bit they had their safety they played that three safety look they had all three guys kind of at the 10 to 12 yard line in the first half off the line of scrimmage and in the second they kind of went more single high with both of them a little bit closer, seven, eight yards. And then the deep safety was maybe about 10 and they were just crashing on the ball. And it wasn't that Oklahoma state. I didn't, I didn't think it was terrible run blocking. You and I've talked about the interior of the offensive line. And I thought those guys still blocked pretty well. Iowa state's just got a good run defense. They're just good. They didn't Jim Knowles and Casey Dunn. When you talk to them after the game, they both didn't seem like they thought there were any major adjustments that Iowa state made on either side of the ball. And when I rewatched the game back, really, you know, I saw the safety thing. Gundy mentioned it. They played their cornerbacks a little bit tighter in the second. In the first half, they were really just playing the outside corner tight when Oklahoma State went to a trips or three wide receiver to the same side of the formation. In the second half, they kind of started playing a little bit tighter on all formations to to be able to help more with the run game. But it, it wasn't any major change. They're just good. Oklahoma State, I still thought blocked decent. It just didn't work for them as well. And they kind of stuck with their identity and you just saw it not work as well in the second half because Iowa State's a good defense. They've got a great defense. They're physical. We knew that going in. We talked about it on this very podcast and that was a a common talking point across the landscape talking about this game. You know, when when I look at what went right for Oklahoma State, and I think this is how we break this down, what went right is that Spencer Sanders probably in my, in my mind played the cleanest game that he's played at Oklahoma state so far. Um, everybody was heaping praise on Brock Purdy for, for the game he played and rightfully so. Right. Rightfully. Rightfully. So, so. Yeah, so. Like he, he was clean. He was, I mean, shoot 27 to 33, three touch, two touchdowns. You can't play better than that. Spencer Sanders almost matched that just with fewer passing attempts. So None of this has anything to do with quarterback play, really anything. Um, You know, one thing that was interesting to me, especially in the second half, was Oklahoma State's inability to run the football out of their, you know, base formations like we've seen, like we were able to see in Austin where, you know, the game progresses, they're not able to run the ball, and then they get physical, and then they're able to run the ball at the end of the game. It was almost the exact opposite, and you just broke it down as to why we could have seen that, but they were able to run the ball earlier, and when that happened, I was like, oh, wow, we're going to win by 17 if we're able to do this, and lo and behold, Iowa State makes adjustments. Great, well-coached team, but um, there's there's not a ton to say about what Oklahoma State did poorly, and I think you that's what you were getting at. Yeah, and really, if you look at it, kid, you just you just kind of mentioned it. They were able to run the ball, and it, really, even if you look at the whole game, if you take out the sacks, the three sacks, Oklahoma State 
Jalen Warren, Spencer Sanders, and Dominic Richardson, as a team, averaged 4.5 yards a carry. Gundy always talks about in his press conferences after he wants to be around that 4.3 mark. 4.5 is higher than that. The problem is they were just having trouble stringing things together in the second half. Average third down distance to go for the game was 8.4 yards for Oklahoma State. It felt like Iowa State's 4.2. Wow. First down rush attempt yardage average for Oklahoma State, only 3.7. And I guarantee you that was much higher in the first half. They just were having some trouble when Iowa State made these, really, I didn't think they were major adjustments. And Gundy knew exactly what they were after the game. So they obviously noticed this. Just running into it, they needed to do other things. And some of those things you and I kind of talked about, I think, in text message. And we talked about it last week on the pod. I don't know why they weren't trying to go to outside the hashes in the short game more. Mm-hmm. Not every time, because sometimes Iowa State cornerbacks had outside leverage for those out routes, but you could throw the hitches, especially in the first half when they were playing off the ball, the corners. You have room to throw those quick outs. That's what Oklahoma State has done the past two years against Iowa State to open up the running game. And I think in the second half, they could have gone to that more. They just they went to it too late, I think, mm-hmm. and Iowa State wasn't spread out enough. I mean – we talked about Chuba going off in the past 2019 and 2020 on these, on this Iowa state team, just because they were able to spread them out early and often. I put some stuff out on Twitter about getting those one-on-one matchups with Tylen Wallace and hitting him outside the hashes on throws that Spencer, we talked about, those are his best throws outside yeah. the hashes. Yeah. And I'm not, that's the one thing with Casey Dunn's play calling in this game. I'm fine sticking to your identity. I know you are too. We've talked about that. We're fine with this identity. It's a little boring, a little not fun to watch. The defense (laughs) is more exciting, but I'm not sure why they didn't go to these quick routes and try to open things up a little bit more. That's the one thing that really frustrated me about the play calling. Well, and you know, the coaches see it so much better than we get to see it. We get one little snapshot for two and a half hours on Saturday. They have a full week. And I can't help but think about the, the second down and five play on the last drive of the game where Jaden Bray comes in. We hadn't really seen him all day. And they do exactly what you're saying, Dustin. Just quick snap, throw it way out past the hash. It really, I mean, it's, it's from the far hash into the flat. It's well designed. It looks like it's there. Bray runs the wrong route. And therefore, that throw is off because he ran the wrong route. Um, that right there may have a lot to do with it. And I don't know that. I, I, I don't have any reason to base it on that. But my, we've seen that. We've seen that with just the immaturity of the receiver core. So I don't know how much that plays into it. You know, with Owens and Bray now showing multiple times of, of not necessarily being on the same page. I think, I can't remember if it was uh, Gundy in the post game or on the radio show saying that Blaine Green lined up on the wrong yeah. side of the formation twice. It's just part of living with a young core like this. And you had the Spencer Sanders rollout early in the game where I believe the wrong that way. was on. I believe that was on him because the line and Jalen were going the other way. I think he turned the wrong way for the fake and rolled out. You're, you're spot on. The entire play went the other direction and, and the quarterback yeah. is looking the wrong way and it's busted from the jump because everything is moving the other way. The offensive line's not blocking this way. So anyway, just some of those small things that like don't seem big, especially on second and five when you've got two more downs to get to it. But if you catch that ball and you get a first down, 
Then the third down, you know, quarterback draw doesn't matter. Fourth down, you, you don't leave it up to an official to make the right call. Um, so it's just and, a game like that. And Gundy mentioned it wasn't just the players. We saw a couple of times, too, I noted, and I can put one of these out on Twitter, too, but the offensive line went with slide protection on a pass play. So basically what that means is the whole line slides instead of a man-to-man blocking scheme. So they're sliding one way and everyone kind of moves over and they take the rusher that comes at them. So when you slide, it normally leaves the running back in a bad spot, especially if the defense is blitzing somebody off the edge or bringing somebody from the second level, or they have a really fast defensive end. And Jalen Warren got matched up in some bad spots. I think he actually took on Will McDonald at one point, which should never happen. You don't want that. Yeah. But that, it's just it's just some things that were that were going wrong, and not a lot, like you said, just a few things. But in a game this close, those things can swing the game. But I wanted to, I kind of, I kind of took the combo in a weird direction because I know we were kind of talking about Sanders. He did play great. I, I know we were talking to Adam Watt, you and I, um, in text. He broke down so four inaccurate throws, two throwaways, one batted ball two drops and 15 completions. So if you look at those nine incompletions, only four of them were bad throws from Sanders. You've got the two drops, you've got the batted ball, which there were, that was a flood concept, which basically that means it's three routes going to the same side of the formation. It's basically what happens every time we do a rollout with Sanders. So you've got the short, you've got the guy over the middle, and then you've got one a little bit deeper in like levels messes with the defense, especially if they're in zone because they're all attacking the same zone, basically just at different levels. But if Sanders is able to get that ball to one of those three guys, it's a huge game yeah. way. And just a great play by the Iowa state defense. So really only four bad throws from him, 15 completions. I know one of those completions on the touchdown was kind of a wild throw, but Presley still caught it. You've got the, th- the deep throw to Tay, mm. which was amazing. And the main thing Cade that stuck out to me, was Sanders stepped up in the pocket. He wasn't scared of the pressure. He got hit multiple times after throws. Yeah. Still completed the ball and just didn't look scared. Went through his progressions. I'll put some out. One actually put one of those out already on Twitter if you follow him. But I'll put a couple more out there. Just where he's going through his progressions, looking off the safety and just firing the ball downfield. One of the one of the inaccurate throws, he actually looked off. He wanted to go to the out route. I believe it was to Owens saw the defender had outside leverage and then came back to Cassidy who was wide open. That's his second read just threw it a little off. But if he completes that, that's just very smart football from him. And I thought all around, it was like you tweeted out. It was one of his best games. I would at least put it in the top five. Well, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to point this out. That's, that's two games. Oklahoma state's two biggest games stretch on the schedule at Texas at Iowa state. We knew that coming into the season. And if we, if I would have told you that Spencer Sanders would commit one turnover in those two games, what would you think? I think we dominate both games. You think we win both games, right? The yeah. fact that that didn't happen isn't necessarily the point, but you can tell right now it, it looks like, and I said this last week, you wonder if that's the point where Spencer Sanders turns the, turns the page into Gundy talks about these 15 games that a quarterback has to play to see the light bulb turn on. Maybe it's 20 in this case, but it kind of looks like we're headed in that direction with Spencer Sanders. And you have to give it up to him because he's played 
in on the biggest stage this season with everything on the line has played extremely well. And I've been critical of him at times um, and rightfully so, but this was the cleanest game he's played. Um, and with the circumstances, you couldn't have asked for more from him. And so, um, you know, I, I've seen still to like, to even think that there are people that are like, Spencer may not be the answer. It's just crazy at this point. You you nailed it, Dustin. That throw to Tay Martin, that corner route, thirty yards in the end zone, Great stepping stepping Tay. up into the pressure, taking a hit on the face mask, and delivering an absolute dime is progression. And my encouragement would just be let Spencer be Spencer because it looks like things are trending in the right direction there at the right time. And I completely agree, and you kind of hit on it right there. He's running the offense, how Dunn is designing the offense. We're setting everything up with our outside wide zone. And then Spencer's asked to kind of open things up. Him, like once the running game gets up going, he's supposed to pass it around. We're not throwing it 40 times a game. I mean, we only ran 56 plays this game. Right. So he's doing the best he can with what he's given scheme wise. If I'm not saying blame Dunn, I'm just saying, I don't know how you can really critique him for this game besides yeah. the few missed throws that we pointed out. And then the other thing, take out the sacks, eight carries for 44 yards, 5.5 yards a carry. He did great on the ground as well. Yeah. And he did all this against probably the most confusing defensive scheme he's going to face all season. Yeah. Well, and you look at what's ahead, Kansas, West Virginia, TCU, Tech, OU, maybe the five worst defenses in the conference. I mean, literally, I think – I think they've played the best defenses in the conference already. Yeah. So that's a, a good enough reason to be confident about the offense going forward. Dustin, before we uh, move on to the defensive side of the ball, did you think Presley got it in real time? I did. I, was, I, did. Uh, I did too. Like even I was live. freaking out. We were at a parlor in OKC, if, if the listeners <laughs> Great know where that is. Great and, spot. Uh, my friend Emily was videoing me while that whole situation was going on. And uh, it was fairly embarrassing. I look kind of jacked in the video, well, but it was fairly hey, embarrassing. You know what? Once we drop this, you know, premium subscription uh, that we've been talking about, maybe, maybe we put that footy behind the paywall, so to speak. Um, yeah, but well, it was, yes, to answer your question, it, I, I do think you got it. I did see, I, I was talking, I forgot to text you about this before the pod. So Ian Boyd, who writes for, uh, yeah. he's a Texas writer. He writes for Inside Texas. He pointed out that that's actually a penalty for pulling, to pulling a player forward. Who and they just never, they don't ever call it. I mean, no one ever calls that. And even if they did, that if they would have called that, then that video would have been way more embarrassing. Yeah, they're, they're xeroxing your ID, and you're not welcome back at Parlor anymore. Yeah, but that that was interesting because I didn't really think about that at first. Like I knew. I knew about the penalty, but it never gets called. I actually went and found the time when it did get called in from an article, like in 1991 in an NFL playoff game. And it was way more ridiculous than what God Lesky did that. Yeah. Basically the offensive lineman grabbed him by the shoulder pads and pulled him forward like several yeah. yards, but. Well, uh, here's the deal. They didn't call it a penalty. So it wasn't a penalty. Um, and they didn't call it a first down, but even live, I it, like you're saying you thought it was a first down. Everybody that I was watching it with, thought first down he's laying on top of the you know offensive lineman I don't want to get all into that but you know and it and it it's not a loss because of that but well, we score for sure if we get that first down. oh 
the, no doubt in my mind we're going to go down and score. The <laughs> offense was on all cylinders. There's no doubt we score. So um, it's a huge bummer, but, um, you know, what an effort. I mean, in that type of game, just seeing both teams collide and it come down to that, you would you would want the spot on the field to be correct, which I don't think it was. But just that like level of effort was just awesome from for, as a college football fan. And we probably do need to hit on this, Cade. And let me just get your take on it. What do you do on both the field goals? Yeah, just I knew- you answer them both separately if you want. Yeah, I do want to do this because I tweeted, uh, and thank you for giving me the floor to eat a little bit of crow here. I, <laughs> I uh, tweeted, and this is I, I shouldn't do this, and I won't do this anymore. But I used the gift of hindsight uh, to to make this tweet about two horrendous fourth down decisions. One. I disagree with completely still right now. I don't think that 50 yard field goal you kick in, in that environment, in that setting, I just don't think you can kick that field goal. Um, You, you don't know what you have in Tanner Brown still. I mean, he's made a few 30 yarders. I don't think you can kick that field goal. Um, I would have liked for them to go for it. The second one, you kick it 100 times out of 100 and you expect your kicker to make a 31-yard field goal. I, in the situation, was emotional because I'm like, I want to freaking win this game. And if I if I were a coach, like being able to check that emotion to say, let's go just freaking get this one yard when that might be less likely than trotting your field goal kicker out there to just go make a 30-yarder like he does all the time. So – I would not have kicked the first one, still wouldn't have in hindsight, and I would have kicked the second one again. No doubt about it. No, I, I'm completely on board with you there. Well, I'm, I'm glad. Uh, it just seems look, obvious. Yeah, and again, this is a hindsight thing, but Oklahoma State on third and fourth and short, so third and fourth, less than four yards. Yeah. One for four. So they were struggling. Casey Dunn mentioned it after the game. They were struggling short short situation. But I think either way, you kick that field goal, you go up by three, and that puts pressure. Not that Purdy's very composed. He's got great completion percentage for the season, great completion percentage in this game. But it puts a little bit of pressure on the Iowa State offense if you go up. Yeah. Oh, and I I think 100%. But I agree with you on the 50-yarder. I don't think there's any way – even if he's nailing 60 yarders before the game, I don't think there's any way you give this guy his first long field goal away at you, Ames. You know what? And it was with your field goal history there. In general. I didn't even, I didn't even consider that into it, but you're, you're spot on. You know, I, I had watched the OUKU game uh, before and watched KU run a, uh, their field goal kicker out for a 57 yarder. And it's like, if it's above 45 yards in college football, you're and, and you're under three, four yards, you're almost better off going for it. It seems like I, I there are analytics that probably dispute what I'm saying, but it seems like fourth and less than four and a 45 plus yard field goal are like the same likelihood. I never no, expected I that to go in. Never did I think that that was going to happen. Before we uh, move to the D, do you mind if I uh, hit a couple quick notes? No, let's go. Okay, I was going to say one thing early on about not going to Tay. How we, I tweeted out last week about the one-on-one situations they were able to get Tylen in. They were putting some extra safety help when Tay was by himself. And actually what OSU started doing is putting Tay on the two-receiver side 
which was able to help them out a little bit and actually got him in some more one-on-one spots. There was the one that Spencer threw. It looked like he was just throwing it to nobody. Tay got held up. Uh, looked like it was going to be a fade route to him, kind of a deep go there. And I think there was a couple more times where that happened. And then they got him in that one-on-one on the deep ball, the great throw we were talking about. So that was one of the reasons they couldn't do that early. I still think they should have gone to the short, quick game in the wide receiver screens. I'm not sure why they didn't do that. Logan Carter was back, played eight snaps, looked a little rusty. Uh, I kind of – I love Logan Carter. I thought he's been great in the past. I don't know if he – if he's just shaking some rust off, that's fine. But I would think stick with Cassidy. And the young guy, Silas Barr, number 48 – He's a beast. He was an offensive lineman in high school. I see no reason why he shouldn't maybe get a couple more Cassidy snaps, but I definitely don't. Especially in the run game. Carter taking some. (laughs) If Carter's going to play, and he didn't play bad. He just didn't look great. And Barr has looked really good. So that was one thing. And then I've also been told that Preston Wilson is now the new right tackle. So we won't see the switching back and forth between Springfield and Wilson, which we've seen the past two games. It looks like Preston Wilson is going to be the guy. I think it's just because they think he plays a little bit better. I think they've both been a little below average, especially in pass pro, but nobody could walk block Will McDonald on Saturday. That guy's a freak. No, I think we would have been better off if we would have kindly asked Will McDonald to just play on the left side of the line. (laughs) That would have been really, really kind of Iowa state. And the last thing I was going to point out, I kind of talked about it with the slide protection, but it looked like in the second half, Iowa State kind of started catching on to our split zone play action where the Cowboy back comes across the formation, but they're pass blocking. And they were sending Mike Rose off that edge. And he was able to get in Spencer's face and hurry him. I don't think he got a sack, but he definitely hurt him a few times. And that looked like just a kind of an adjustment Campbell and Heacock made. So that was kind of interesting to me that pointed out. I'll try to put a video out of that. But yeah, that was all I had. I know we talked about everything else. We broke down. I thought Jalen Warren still had a great game. Uh, the receivers, obviously, the young guys gotta gotta shore up the middle mistakes and some of the drops. But other than that, I thought everybody played pretty well. I've got a question for you as, as we're sitting here talking about the cowboy back. There is a new like wrinkle that they've added and they may have been running this for a while, but I really noticed it at Texas. They ran it almost every time they ran the ball. It was either motioning like they were switching where Warren and the H back, the cowboy back were lined up pre-snap. What is that? And what is the advantage there? So they started doing that. I don't remember them doing that last season. I wrote about it actually for pistols firing earlier this year. So what they're doing there is basically they're just moving the cowboy back and the halfback around because what they're, they're really just running zone. So you want to move the H back and the running back around so that the defense can't key on where they're coming from. So if you have the running back offset to Spencer and he hands it off there, and then you have the cowboy back on the right side, running split zone, they're going to key on that every time. So you move him to the fullback position. He runs split zone from there. You move Jalen Warren behind Spencer into the pistol so he can go either way. So they're really just trying to make it to where the defense can't key on anything and just try to, you know, get them guessing, give them a little bit different looks. But it's a pretty look. Yeah, and they mainly put Warren back in the pistol. They mainly just move him from offset back to the pistol. Right. But like you said, they're moving the Cowboy back kind of all around. I love it. I actually thought they should have done it more in this game. They did it a lot the past two games before that. And it just seems to just kind of annoy the defense and kind of get them guessing. Well, and it seems like it works, but you know, 
whatever it it's interesting it. and it stands out like it seems like it works too um and Boise I agree state with you. used to do that a lot and iowa state does it a lot they did it in this game they move they do it mainly just with both their tight ends but just kind of moving them to the yep. h-back spot on the line like all around so yeah well it's a whole bunch of nonsense um well <laughs> thank you for that uh dustin i appreciate it i've, I've been watching that and trying to figure out uh, besides eye candy what the function of that was um yeah so moving to the defensive side of the ball, you know, obviously going up against one of the most high power offenses in the big 12 and Brock Purdy and Brees Hall, you know, the accolades are warranted there. They're, there's no shortage of them. This was, you know, the seventh ranked preseason team in the country because of the Iowa state offense. Um, and, you know, that's not a knock on the defense, but it, it starts and ends with Brock Purdy and it started with, and ended with Brock Purdy this week, unfortunately. So what'd you see from the defense, Dustin? I thought they played good. Yeah. I, I think Brock Purdy just played a little better. Knowles talked about it after the game. They got to him. They were getting pressure on him. He just knows where the pressure's coming from. He's able to get rid of the football quickly. Iowa State's game plan on offense was to try to get a lot of those quick passes, especially to uh, who we talked about, Xavier Hutchinson. And, and they were just able to do it. Oklahoma State did what we thought. They tried to bracket Kohler. He actually, I know he had six catches for 69 yards, but one of those was the very first play of the game where I'll put this out there, but I believe it was, it was either Taylor or Tanner McAllister and then Colby Harvell Peel and Iowa State went motion and it looked like McAllister was trying to tell Peel, hey, I've got the flat, you take the slot, you take, you take Kohler. Yep. Peel didn't see him at all. I don't know who actually has that responsibility there just not being able to see the whole field Lunt, Lunt may have a better answer on that, but they both went to the flat and they were able to get Kohler. And then the other one was on a third and forever or second forever. And Kohler was like the, the check down. So he really only had four catches that I'm going to yeah. count. Cause those other two were pretty fluky. So they tried to take him away. They tried to take Allen away, Russ. They tried to not get the slot, anything. And Hutchinson just beat him, And Purdy was just good. I, I, that was kind of my main takeaway. I thought they could have, you know, stopped a little bit more of the big plays. They let yeah. a few too many big plays go in this game. But other than that, some penalties, but I don't know. Well, and that was that was the real interesting thing to me. You know, I I don't remember the last time I saw a team go 15 plays on, on a Jim Knowles defense, but that drive in the second quarter to tie the game was very impressive. And OSU made them work for every ounce of what they got. Every single point they got, OSU made them work for it. Um, but, you know, again, it, it's a it's a well-coached team with a good, efficient offense, and, and they've got a lot of weapons. I told you before the podcast, I didn't know Hutchinson was that good. I didn't know he was that physical, didn't know he was that strong, um, and I didn't know he was that fast. I mean, he's got yeah. breakaway speed. He, he's a, he's a big-time player. Basically, everyone that covered him, he was able to bully. Yeah. Even Which on just nobody's quick, done that. Nobody's done. Yeah. That. Just quick routes. What I was talking to you off the podcast, he's taking his hands and just using his physicality just enough to where the ref's not going to call it, but he can create separation. He did it on an out route. He did it on the big slant. He broke away. He did it, like you mentioned to me, on the, uh, on the little fade route in the end zone. He just was too strong. And I thought the defense actually covered him pretty well for the most part. You just, you just got to be a little bit more physical with him. Bernard Converse, I think, got kind of bullied by him a few times. 
But no fault to his. I think Bernard Converse is a great player. It looked like they kind of picked on him a little bit with Hutchison because they knew they had that strength matchup there. And he was just able to bully him for 12 catches, 125 yards, two TDs. I mean, 51 came on that one play. But he's a really solid player. And another thing that Purdy was really keying on, something else you and I talked about, they were feasting in the RPO game. Another thing Knowles mentioned, they were getting Colby Harville Peel as the conflict, conflict player, knowing he's coming from that safety spot, hard fitting on the run, just throwing it right over his head. They did it, I want to say three or four times. Ian Boyd, who I mentioned earlier, put a good clip up. I've got a couple more noted I can put out, but not Colby's fault. He's doing his job. He's breaking on the run hard. That's his best attribute as a safety. I think he's a he's a solid run fitter, maybe actually a little bit more to average in pass coverage. So he's a guy you want attacking the run, but Purdy and, and the Iowa State offense were just kind of feasting well, on those RPOs. Well, and, that, and that's really, as I sit here looking at the stat line again, you know, Iowa State, 33 rushing attempts for 67 yards total. I mean, Oklahoma State bottled that run game up all day. Brees Hall had no room to run. Really, everything he got was in the passing game, two catches for 38 yards. Um, and he, he had just over 100 total yards, so almost 25 touches for 100 yards. You'll take that with Brees Hall all day. Um, but the fact that Iowa State was still able to find success is exactly what you're saying, Dustin. Those RPOs, everything felt like it was underneath, and it was efficient. They were finding space pretty easily. Um, it's almost like they knew exactly where we were going to be. And, um, you know, just you kind of just have to tip your cap because nobody's done that this season. Even, you know, what I would equate to a higher power offense in Texas. You know, I, I was more worried that Texas would be able to do some of that than I was with Brock Purdy and Iowa State. I thought we'd be able to heat him up a little bit and make him make some mistakes, and he just never did. Yeah, and we had seven QB hurries and two sacks. He just – PFF has him getting blitzed on 12 of his attempts and completing 11 of them. I think I had 10 blitzes and then completing eight. But either way, that's just composure, just knowing where the blitz is coming from. And Knowles is still disguising it. He didn't go as crazy with the cover zero, nope. crazy blitz looks too many times this game, but he still blitzed quite a bit from different angles. And Purdy was just able to figure it out and get the ball out of his hands. He just played really well. I think the main thing is limiting the big plays and you got to play a little bit better on Xavier Hutchinson. But to your point about the run game, uh, more people, it, it is a travesty that more people don't talk about Israel Antwine, Brendan Evers, Brendan Evers, Sheesh. Tyler Lacey, Walter Scheid, Cody Walter Scheid. These guys are monsters. Yeah. They do exactly what they're told every play. They push up field. They clog up the middle. That's what the three down defensive line is supposed to do. We're going we're gonna to look back and not have given these guys enough praise. And I hate to be that guy. I feel like someone should punch me in the face for even saying that, but it's true. Israel Antwine and Evers, especially the past few games, they just push people around. And Sione C had a really great defensive grade this game. I think he was the third highest player. But you see when he's in there instead of Antwine, he does not get as much of a push. Israel Antoine is the strongest person I've ever seen in my life. He's just we, throwing people around. We've heard that too. Like he's yes. freakishly strong. If somebody was talking about him doing pull-ups with chains around his neck, like no problem. I think that might've been Colby Phil yeah. on a podcast talking about him, just freak strength. But Brendan Evers, man, I, I made a comment 
uh, was watching with my dad and brother. I mean, he pops off the screen like and he's consistently in the backfield. It's just like this guy seems like he came out of nowhere. I know he's, you know, Bixby three star recruit. We knew who he was, but I didn't know he was going to be like that. I mean, he's he's dominant. He's dominant. And I'm not and I'm not trying to not mention Brock Martin and Colin Oliver. Well, these guys are we start, freaks as well. I just we start want, doing this. We'll, we'll mention the entire two fan club. Yes. <laughs> I, the de- the defense all around. When you when you just go player by player and you just watch them, it, even guys like Thomas Harper. I think he was one of the guys that Gundy was talking about the mistakes on both sides of the ball. You saw him. It looked like he was out of position a few times in zone, maybe dropping a little bit too far. But he had some great plays in coverage. He had some great tackles. And this guy's a, this he's still a young guy. He's still got several years left to play. You've got the young corners out there like Black and Muhammad on plays, and they're playing well, get bullied a little bit, like I said. But when you go individual, and we can't because we'll be here all day, the defense <laughs> is solid. Yeah, still is. And, and I mean, again, I think back to that 15-yard play, there was nothing that they did that was frustrating. It's just like sometimes you get pushed and sometimes you get – you know, beat. And that's what that was. But I, I look back, you know, the two things that I'll think about from this game are those two fourth down stands, the one at the beginning of the game and the one at the end of the game. Um, when you had to have it, when the defense had to make a stop, they did most of the time. Uh, unfortunately, they didn't on the, on the last drive. But I mean, when they, on that fourth down with about nine minutes left, Iowa State's basically saying, we're going for the dagger. We don't want to give you the ball back. And Brennan Evers and Antoine just clog up the middle and it allows everything to roll to the outside. And Brock Purdy's not getting that corner on this defense. And so um, it was a disappointing outcome for what I thought was a really good defensive performance. Purdy was just good, man. I mean, maybe that's the title of this podcast. Purdy was better (laughs) than I thought. And I feel like I have to retire the back foot Brocktober uh, moniker that we gave him. He did play well. I'm just looking at his PFF passing direction breakdown. He was, let's see, 12, 13 of 15 in the throat. So basically below less than 10 yards, 13 of 15. He was just dicing the defense up less than 10 yards. He didn't even complete a pass. It actually shows no completions or attempts past 20 yards because I think all three times he threw it that far, there were defensive penalties. I think one holding and two pass interference. Mm. So he didn't even complete or technically attempt a pass over 20 yards and threw for what we say, 307. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Also, I think two of those pass interference calls were terrible. Uh, Well, what was, what was the call that took place prior to that? Oh, it was uh, the Hutchinson um, unsportsmanlike conduct. Yeah, which, that was terrible too. These refs were wild. Which was one of the worst calls I've ever seen in, in college football. It was just like, why would you have done it there? Why, I, we don't have to go into it. I think everybody with a brain watched that and was like, yikes. I'm not sure I would have made that call. But the next possession, Oklahoma State goes three and out. And the crowd is like into it. They're still booing the refs. And that next possession is where two of those holding pass interference came and they were ticky tack. They were pretty weak. And it felt like to me, and I tweeted this, that 
it was one bad call that the officials let turn into three. It felt yeah. like they allowed that, the perception of that bogus call on Hutchinson to impact the way they officiated the rest of that game. And, and I know you can't, you can't blame the game on that. I just no, 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 no. think our cornerbacks and defensive backs are really good, and I don't want that on their record. <laughs> yeah, we are filing to have that expunged. <laughs> but I, I honestly, Kate, I don't have any more. Yeah. I don't have a ton of notes on the defense just because I thought they played really well. I, I think they needed to hold them to more third and longs. We talked about their average third and down distance to go was, I believe I said 4.7, 4.2 average third down distance to go. They needed more third and longs, needed to stop the big plays, hold up the RPO game. But other than that, I thought they had a pretty good, pretty good all around game plan and Purdy just executed really well. Jason Taylor, another guy I haven't said, but he's just been so good. These guys have just all been so good. It gives you confidence too, as you think about the quarterbacks that they're going to be facing over the coming weeks. Um, Max Duggan, uh, Seth Dagey, Jarrett Dagey, which one, which one is this Jarrett? I think. Yeah. I don't care. Doesn't matter. Same guy twice. (laughs) Um, And then you've got Caleb Williams, who's still really young has shown a lot, but he's still really young. Um, The point to that is I think Purdy's the best quarterback, like the best, most known what you're going to get out of him that they're going to see all year. And I just don't expect to see a mistake-free performance against this aggressive style of defense like that again. I just, it was shocking, honestly. And it's not because they played that. It's just, you got to tip your hat sometimes. And I'm- Last I'm, name I'm, I'll say, Malcolm yeah. Rodriguez. Because oh. that, that stop you were talking about on <laughs> the goal line, he stuck Hall on one of those. It, he's a freak. I'm going to miss him so much. He's got, I hope- that his size is not what holds him back in the NFL or holds back scouts from believing he can have a career in the NFL because that dude does it all. And I can't wait to see what he does. So yeah. Um, wrapping up feels, the defense. It feels like we won by 20 with how we just talked about the defense. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I opened up the podcast the way I did for a reason. Like I think OSU is better than I even thought they were and they lost. Like they yeah. just played a clean, well-executed game. And sometimes I guess you lose those. Um, and it doesn't have to be in stupid form like it always is in Bedlam or anything like that. It's just remove the emotion out of it and realize like this was a damn good football game. Yeah, I so, agree. Well, that kind of wraps it up. Um, Dustin, I mean, where do you where do you go from here? Obviously, you got the KU free space. And then you've got West Virginia, TCU, Tech, and OU. I mean – how do you feel about the season now that it's not perfect, but there's a lot ahead of you? I think if we continue to see this play from Sanders, you know, the running game's going to be there with Warren, the receivers, just shoring some things up. I mean, they just can't, can't have the drops offensive line, just pass protect, maybe a little better. Everything else is looking pretty good. At, and the defense just keep doing what you're doing. I could see us winning out until Bedlam game. And then, and then who knows there. I'm not gonna, yeah. not gonna say we're gonna beat OU because I'm never gonna say that. We but... can't we can't say that out loud. Yeah. What do you? I mean, what do you think? What do you think? I, I mean, I'm with you. I, part of me wonders: do do they drop the fluky November game against a team that they should beat? Probably. Um, pro- <laughs> the answer is probably yeah. They're gonna do that. Um, but something about the the way the last two games went back against the wall, sold out crowd, both times on the road, people are doubting you. 
And then you play like that two weeks in a row. It's like, there's a lot that you can take from that. That's pretty encouraging. And so, you know, I, I think they can run the table. I think they're good enough. I've seen enough blemishes from all the other teams. I mean, Max Duggan doesn't know who plays for TCU. He's like throwing the ball. He's costing me money at this point with, with his inability to throw the ball I to his own. You're still mad about that game. Oh, for, okay. So for our <laughs> listeners and we'll, we'll wrap it up with this. We got some KU to talk about too, but I had two parlays hanging in, in the balance and Max Duggan. I'm like, dude, you versus Jared Daigie, you, you're the guy. Like, go win me some money. All they had to do was cover four and a half, and they're driving. And, I mean, they're, car- they're carving up West Virginia. And Duggan just stares the West Virginia cornerback down and throws a pick six <laughs> and then comes back and does it again. And it's just like, well, I'm excited we get to play that guy because that was really, <laughs> really bad. So – um, if I if I had to pick right now, I would be more confident in the fact that OSU is probably going to go 10 and one until Bedlam. They're going to win their next four. And then we have Bedlam. Then I do believing that they're going to drop one to one of those teams. I think they're playing the bottom half right now. So, yeah, I agree. You want to talk uh, just a little KU? We won't go I, super. <laughs> we won't go super deep. I, do I want to talk KU? Hmm. They played OU well, so I feel like we got to give them – if they would have got crushed by OU, I think we could have gone one minute, but I feel like we got to give them at least five. No, you're right, just out of respect, I mean, truthfully, and, and honor and thankfulness that they gave us that performance as OSU fans on Saturday. I had a great time watching it. Oh, I did too. I mean, <laughs> so what, what did you think? Was that an, an aberration or – So that- I went back and watched – Texas Tech, and then I rewatched. I watched the OU game live, but then I went back and rewatched it. It's a different. I like Lance Leipold. I think he's a good coach. If you don't know anything about him, basically, he dominated Division Three. I think he coached for eight years and won six championships in Division Three. Jeez. At Wisconsin Whitewater, and they basically, I think they forced him to leave. That's not a then, real school. <laughs> I think they forced him to leave because it was it was considered assault and violence that he would win the championship <laughs> that many times. So then he goes to he goes to Buffalo. I think he wins the Eastern Division of the MAC three times there. Takes I actually looked this up because I saw that they went to three bowl games while he was there. I was like, how many bowl games has Buffalo been to? So they got bumped back up to Division One in 1999, and they had only been in two bowl games before he got there, and he took them to three in his six years. So what I'm getting at is he's a good coach. I think Kansas lucked out with this hire. I know they're one and six. I think they're better than one and six. I would say their offense, the base of it is kind of similar to Baylor and ours. They like the wide zone, outside zone run game. Basically, to refresh you on that, outside zone, they're trying to go more, the linemen are trying to go more to the perimeter, running backs aiming for outside. Wide zone looks like outside zone, but the line's kind of trying to get more vertical push the running backs aiming more tackle tight end looking for a cutback but it looks like outside zone if I watch it I think it's outside zone (laughs) that's kind of what they're setting up as but what they add on is a ton of motion you saw it against OU they'll do some toss sweeps to the running back some jet sweeps they'll throw in some power counter but what they killed OU on is the zone read game and their quarterback Jason Bean Former track guy in high school, actually ran me 100. He's very fast. Looks like it, yeah. Extremely skinny, like too skinny probably to be playing D1 quarterback. I think he's like 180 pounds. But he's tough and he's fast. And OU, 
what they were trying to do is get one of their safeties to fit in the run game like we do, but it's not, it didn't really work out for them. The rest of the defense wasn't really kind of going with it. And they were just causing so much confusion, confusion. And Bean was able to keep it himself, get a bunch of yards. And then they were able to hand it off to Devin Neal, their running back, who Gundy has mentioned multiple times that OSU recruited first this week. They're able to get it going to him, but I don't think KU can get their wide zone running game going with just Neal. I don't think their offensive line's talented enough, and they do have the uh, Leipold brought over two Buffalo guys for their offensive line with him, and they've got a Notre Dame guy. I believe he plays center, so they've got some guys that are capable of playing D1 football, but they're just not good enough, and I think the way you shut them down on offense is just stopping that zone read game Yeah, because Bean will throw it into coverage. He gets, we talked about Spencer getting crazy feet. If you pressure <laughs> this guy, he's throwing it all over the yard. I think I looked it up and I'll, I'll pull it up in a minute, but I want to say his completion percentage when he's pressured, according to PFF is 40%. He does not handle pressure. Well, all they really do is set things up with that zone read and they try to throw it to their guy Lassiter who's also another track guy, very fast. That dude's been KU. there forever. Been there forever. His dad played there. He He's a slot and outside guy that move them all around, but that's what they try to do. They've got their tight end Fairchild. He's okay. They've got Wilson, a guy that they brought over from Buffalo. It's mainly short passes. Sometimes Bean will try to go deep, but it's all rollouts and it's everything set up with their zone read game. I feel like I'm oversimplifying it, but it's just motion to confuse you, zone read, and then they try to get you on the rollouts, and that's really all they've got. And well, I don't think it's going to work against us. Well, it, it's interesting because I my first question is, how do they do what they did against Oklahoma, if, that, if that's the case? And I think it's as simple as this. We've talked about how OU's defense – I think we talked about this when we were previewing Texas. How OU's style of defense is very chaotic. It's like a controlled chaos is what they call it. It's chaotic. And it can get people out of their gaps because they're so committed to just flying around to the football to where it can be undisciplined. And that's what you cannot be against the zone read. If there's one thing you can't be, it's out of your gap. You can't be off your assignment against the zone read. This Oklahoma State defense is the opposite of that. They are a calculated chaos. They actually are that what OU claims to be. They are they the controlled chaos. And I think you're exactly right. I think this defense is too fast sideline to sideline and too physical up front to, to be able to have much success, sustained success. They may hit on a couple of those, but I don't see how they are able to sustain much success as the game goes on and do anything close to what they were able to do against Oklahoma on Saturday against OSU. I just don't see that. I don't think so either. And one thing you just mentioned about the soundness of the defense, I think Colby Harvell Peel has a big game. I know I kind of threw him under the bus a little bit with his pass coverage earlier. Oh, but, but you mentioned he's a run. Yeah, he's he's a run fit. He's a run fit guy. He's gonna get there. I think Malcolm Rodriguez has a big game. And something I would expect to see, we've seen it a little bit this year when we go just with the two down linemen and then also sometimes have Oliver and Brock Martin out on the field at both end at the same time. I think we see a lot of that because I think we want to get speed at Bean, throw him off his game. And I think the way you kind of stop the zone option, zone read game 
is with talented guys like that who can shuck a guy, who can break down, make it look like they're going to come at the running back, and then they have the athleticism to tackle Bean on the outside when he decides to pull it. I think you see a lot of that, and I think you see the I think you see the Oklahoma State safeties with a lot of tackles this game. But when people say you don't want your safety making a bunch of tackles, it's different when you think about the Oklahoma State run defense because they come up on the run. So I would expect that and. I think Knowles is just going to bring a lot of pressure. And I think you see, I think you see a few interceptions this game too. I don't think there's, I just think Bean's going to get rattled. He hasn't, the, he played Iowa state, didn't play them that well, had some turnovers in that game. Really the only teams they've played pretty well, haven't had great defenses. I'm right. trying to even look back at their schedule. Tech crushed them. That one of the games I watched, they got out of hand. They scored 14 points, but not until the fourth quarter. Right, And then well, OU was close, but we talked about their defense and their lapses there. Iowa State beat them 59-7. to Baylor, another good defense, 45-7. to They played Duke close, and Gundy's mentioned that a couple times, but I haven't watched Duke, but I can't assume they have a great defense. I know Knowles came from there, but... Well, Gundy, said, this, Gundy said he expects this to be a fourth-quarter game. Do you? <laughs> no, I do not. I do. I'll get to my prediction after we talk a second on their defense, but do you have anything else on their offense? No, no, I don't. I, you know, a mobile quarterback always makes me nervous just because of the unpredictability, but he's so young. uh, I just, I don't expect him to be able to do uh, what he was able to do against Oklahoma twice. I think when Leipold gets his recruits in Kansas could surprise some people, but they're not going to this year. Saw Gundy say they're not, they're better than one in six. I, th- I think they're a little bit better than one and six, but not they, they shouldn't have like a winning record or anything like that <laughs> on defense on defense. There's not much on them. It's really similar to like the Kansas state defenses in the past. They go four man front. They've got the hybrid uh, strong side linebacker safety position. I think they call them a Hawk. Oh, they've got a few that. good guys, Kyron Johnson at defensive end. They've got uh, Jeremy Robinson on the defensive line Gavin Potter and Barry Hill at linebackers. They've got uh, Logan at safety. They've got a few guys who can make some plays. They bring some pressure, not a ton. I think they blitzed Purdy eight times. They blitzed Tech 10. A lot of zone. They really only go man on third down sometimes when they're trying to get off the field and try to throw some different looks. A lot of cover three, cover two quarters. I just think Spencer's going to be able to pick them apart, and I don't think there's – any way they stop the run game. I think we could run it every play. I hope we do. I would I love to see that too. Just push them around for, for four quarters. That would be fantastic. And really I'm kind of smashing on them a little bit, but their defense isn't terrible. They've got some guys who I mentioned out there, like Karen Johnson made some great plays in the yeah, OU game. He really did. Potter's been there for a while. He's not great, but he's athletic, maybe a little undersized. Well, they, they're, they historically, they're not no, they historically, though, have a guy. Like, I think back to, like, Dorrance Armstrong, who's playing for the Dallas Cowboys now. He was a freak. He was one of the best defensive linemen in the Big 12. It seems like sometimes they've got that kind of guy. And I think – who I can't remember his name. Uh, Kyron Johnson, you just mentioned him. He's kind of that guy, it seems like. Yeah. He's just, just a freak kind of athlete. He can get after the quarterback. They've got a few guys that can get after the quarterback – I just don't see it. Be, it's not going to be anywhere as confusing as Iowa State, as confusing as Texas for Spencer and for Casey Dunn to call plays against. Now, one thing I would say, I do think it's 
maybe even I don't know how it can get more boring on offense, but I think we I think you see zone and I think you see wide receiver screens, a few deep shots maybe early, but once we get up, I think they go up, just give it to Warren in the zone. I think he maybe rushes it like 25, 26, 27 times for 150, 140, a couple touchdowns. Be fantastic. It'd be fantastic. It would tie right into what I think this uh, score is going to shake out to be. Um, I've, I've thought this is going to be a low-scoring game, not not on both sides and not because Oklahoma State's offense couldn't be explosive. I think they can. I just don't think that's what get the, what they're going to try to do, as you just said, Dustin. I mean, I've got, I've got this one at 38-10. to uh, 10. Feels about right to me. 38-10, Oklahoma State. What about you? I've got 34-13. to 13. Okay. I don't think Kansas gets a touchdown until late. I think it's two field goals. I like maybe it. Maybe three. I just don't – I don't, there's no – they can't do what they did against OU when we have all that film on them. There's no way Knowles is going to let that happen. And I don't think they have enough tricks in the bag or enough talent on offense to really come up with something different that could beat us Yeah, too badly on defense. That's what it seems like to me. And – Again, it, it always comes down to with Kansas, they might be kind of turning a corner. I just don't see it, especially with, you know, what you factor in with the way they struggled against Iowa State just two weeks ago, Texas Tech. Um, you know, I think Lance Leipold is a good coach. You just gave him all those accolades earlier. But this is still for now. Kansas is a free space in this conference, and you got to go win it, um, which is why it would have been so much fun last week if KU would have just done us that big favor, but alas. <laughs> to your point, Baylor only let them score seven. Iowa State only let them score seven. And Texas Tech only let them score 14. So you thinking it's going to be a low-scoring game, myself kind of picking that as well. You'd, you'd, hope, just, you'd hope this is a game no where, where Gunnar Gundy makes an appearance, where some of the younger guys on defense make an appearance. You definitely don't want Spencer to be out there, I don't think until you know early fourth quarter i i wouldn't want that that Some would be Zach a, middleton action in the backfield Ooh, <laughs> that would be that pretty guy. pretty nice hey what did you think about jalen warren uh going direct snap there was that fourth down that got blown up that was out of nowhere i love it i was actually talking to our buddy michael p um off air last week and he mentioned to me he'd love to see some wildcat with warren it's hilarious that we saw it I'd like to see it more in short yardage situations. I think that's a great play. Yeah. Our, our boy, Michael P would like to see more of my nineties alternative rock playlist <laughs> as well. Shout out to you, man. Uh, well, Dustin, this has been fun, man. I think we've got a few questions to answer. Um, and so before we jump off, I, I think let's go ahead and do that. Symbol is a stock market for sports that allows you to trade sports teams like stocks and earn cash payouts when your team wins. Symbol has blended sports in the stock market to offer you a new way to invest in and profit off your favorite teams. So use your sports knowledge to buy low, sell high, and earn cash payouts when your teams win. Symbol is offering a very special giveaway to the 1012 Network and our podcast, Feels Like 45. Symbol is going to hold a drawing to give away two tickets to a Big 12 game of your choice, and all you've got to do 
is sign up for Simple and make a $25 deposit using promo code FEELS12 and you will be entered into a chance to win two tickets to your favorite team's game this season. Visit www.simbull.com to create a free account. And when you deposit, you better make sure to use that promo code FEELS12 and for a chance to win two tickets to a Big 12 game of your choice. Visit www.symbol.com, S-I-M-B-U-L-L.com, and use the promo code FEELS12 and start investing in your favorite teams. All right, welcome back. One of my favorite things of you know getting to start this podcast is the fact that we host it on a platform where you, the listener, can literally send us a voice message and we can answer it. And you can hear yourself ask us the question. Uh, some of them are fantastic, some not so much, but all of them, <laughs> all of them, we do our best to make the podcast. So if you don't hear yours, don't get discouraged. We literally listen to every single one of them, but sometimes we got time constraints. We got sponsors to worry about. So the first and only one this week is from our buddy Lee Crothran. And by the way, um, if you're going to send these in, we record on Tuesday nights at seven o'clock. So if you don't make that deadline, we can't read your question. So I will get better about putting this on the Twitter account prior to Tuesday at 630. So that there's a little bit of heads up for you guys. This is definitely on me, uh, the producer, but uh, yes, we record Tuesdays at seven o'clock. So you got to get your questions in before then. Okay. This is from Lee, AKA dynasty defined. Here we go. Hey guys, Lee Cawthorn here. Thanks so much for your awesome podcast. Uh, the well-reasoned, well-researched uh, pokes by 90 takes on every episode is exactly what I'm looking for <laughs> in a, an Oklahoma state Cowboys podcast. So thanks for providing that. Um, my question is, if you combined the 2021 Cowboys defense with the 2011 Cowboys offense and then sprinkled in all of the uh, Oklahoma State wrestling national champions over the past 20 years, uh, how much does Oklahoma State beat Alabama and LSU super team by? I'll take my question offline. Appreciate it. I think Lee answered his question in the question. <laughs> yeah by 90 you, re- you rarely get that right by 90 pokes by 90 it's by 90 that's a i love that question lee thank you so much and if you guys are into oklahoma state wrestling i'll give lee a plug his dynasty defined podcast he just started it a few weeks ago it is great i love oklahoma state wrestling but i'm not very well informed by my own fault and lee is keeping me up to date and i feel cool talking about wrestling now i kind of want to wrestle some people so we've <laughs> Speaking of wrestling, we've got a couple of offline questions, which you can submit them on Twitter. It's just way less fun because we like the voice message questions. That's just fun. But we've got yeah, one Lee here. Has a great voice. Lee has a great voice and uh, really good for podcasting and a face for podcasting, too. We can relate. Um, <laughs> David at Stilly Vanilli says, who do you guys project to start this year at 141 and 149? Dustin, I'll let, <laughs> I'll let you take a stab at that one. That, that's our buddy. That's our buddy, David. Thanks for sending in that question. Let me get this a couple Matt. more episodes in, guy, before yeah. I have to do this. Yeah, I'll, tr- I'll talk wrestling, but I just need a little – maybe Lee should put out two a week. It's not my fault. Yeah. I mean, we did say we will talk all Oklahoma State sports. I will say wrestling, I just don't know anything about it, and I would love for somebody to take me by the hand to Gallagher Arena, maybe buy me a couple beers, a hot dog, and just – 
tell me what I'm watching right. because it's a fun sport to watch. I was at the Oklahoma state, Iowa duel a couple of years ago. It was the loudest environment I've ever been in. It was amazing, but I, I love it as well. I just don't know enough about it. So to sit here and say who I project at 141 and 149, the only people I know is if those are bar names, I will be there. If 141 <laughs> and 149 is a bar, I project me to be starting there. So that's all I got free, for you. Feel free to DM Kate and I all your wrestling takes. We'll use them on the podcast and claim they're our own. That's fine. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Just feed us information. And unlike Adam, we will not give you credit, David. So there we go. Right. Um, exactly. the last question again, an offline, but it's from Brian Metcalf at Brian J Metcalf. He says, I always liked when coach pop described his team's performance, like specific wines. How would you describe each unit's performance on Saturday to insert your choice of drink? I think the easier way to do this, cause we could do that for way too long. Describe the game overall as your favorite choice of alcohol. Go. You you go you're you want me to get <laughs> a beer connoisseur so Ooh. you go first and I'll base mine off of yours because I don't want to look stupid going. That's first. a nice way of calling me a functioning alcoholic. So thank you. Yes, that, yes. No. I didn't want to say. Uh, <laughs> no, that's that's great. Um, I would describe it as a bottom shelf but good value bourbon. Like it doesn't okay. make you feel good, but it's still bourbon and bourbon's pretty good. So I would describe it as like a Evan Williams bottled and bond, which is a, a really good value bottle, but you can get it for like 15 bucks. So that's what, that's how I would describe it. Tastes good. Doesn't go down all that smooth. I'm going to go Bud Light because oh. that's normally what I drink or Miller <laughs> or Coors. So Miller, Coors or Bud, all three. You, you can drink Bud, Miller or Coors. I'll mix them together and drink it. <laughs> Call it a suicide. Yeah. Well, that, that sounds about right. No, I'm that, just kidding. I think I think that's a great I think that's a great pick. I also I also like bourbon. I'm not as I'm not as classy as Cade, so I don't know them off the top of my head, but I'll go with that. I'll go with Well, that. maybe one of these days when we do a live pod, we'll do a little sample. Uh, how about yeah, that? Yeah, I seem to be taught like wrestling. <laughs> that's right. David, you hold my hand to Gallagher, I but Dustin, I'll hold yours to bourbon. This is yeah. this is how podcasting brings people together all right one final thing Lemon before... lime white claw that's oh. actually my answer <laughs> yeah uh not one of my go-tos i will say <laughs> I, i'm a big i'm a big seltzer guy i don't really discriminate but i will skip the lemon lime white claw most <laughs> of the time uh, one you know final note that that is pretty fun we've again we've talked about this david you just said it we will talk about other oklahoma state sports we'll talk about most of them we just won't talk about the ones we don't know anything about but dustin and i are huge oklahoma state hoops fans not just football geniuses but we're huge oklahoma state hoops fans and there's some news on the recruiting front and uh this feels a little quiet i mean it may just be me, but I haven't noticed the buzz about this, Dustin, that you uh, and, and you may have. But uh, Anthony Black, five star, very high, highly sought after, almost like a Bryce Thompson type recruit. Think of it that way. In the 2022 class, so this upcoming class received another projection crystal ball, whatever you want to call it, to Oklahoma State this last weekend um, from Jerry Meyer at 24-7 Sports, which 
that's a big name in, in the recruiting industry. That's not just your local Oklahoma State guy. No offense, but that's a big name who might have heard something. That's something you might want to take seriously, Dustin, is Anthony Black to Oklahoma State. That's exciting. Yeah, you have the crystal ball predictions coming in. I've seen some comparisons. I know the one on 247 to him is Sean Livingston. If you don't remember Sean Livingston before he had that knee injury, yes, he was nasty. If you're getting that kind of comp, that's that's good stuff. If they can get this guy to Oklahoma State, that's just another huge notch on Mike Boynton's belt. And I don't know how anyone can question anything about Oklahoma State basketball recruiting if that happens. I don't know how they can do it right now, but. It's, he's almost like a baby Cade Cunningham. Um, and I, I project that's the way that they would want to play him. He seems to be a little bit more, you know, the knock on Cade when he was coming into Oklahoma State was his jump shot, which <laughs> clearly was not a great call for many of the scouts because that turned out to be maybe his greatest strength. Um, but Anthony Black, you know, has, has a little bit more, you know, um, explosive athleticism. Um, very similar to Cade Cunningham, honestly. And it's not just the hair. It's not just the tall, lanky, you know, he, he's going to be a ball dominant. I would expect, and I don't know this, but I would expect if he comes to Oklahoma State, they're pitching him the way that they pitched Cade Cunningham. You come in, you be the guy, you run the offense. And think about it this way, Dustin. If Bryce Thompson, Rondell Walker, Avery Anderson, all those guys stuck around, and then you throw an Anthony Black into the mix, Whew. that roster is way better than what Cade Cunningham walked into. Oh, and that's not, sure. a, that's not even a knock. It just, it, that is a much better situation. It's just more depth and talent. And at that point, you might be talking banners. You might be talking Big 12 title contending. And we national love talking banners. Feels we like love, that's yes, right. Which, if you didn't it starts know, to feel like 95. We're, we're changing yeah. the name. <laughs> well, they won basketball in 1945 too as well, right? They absolutely did. They so absolutely did. basketball. So if you if you didn't know, the name is both. That's why we talk about both and wrestling. And if you're into cowboy and cowgirl golf, they're in the East Lake Cup final, both teams tomorrow. And so and World War II champs, 1945. Exactly. So exactly. You know, we had a little bit of discussion about the name. Do we need to dive back into that? We probably don't. I mean, 1945, as you just said, Dustin, is the like best year in Oklahoma State sports best year of my history. life yeah, that's right best year of your life best year of my life we remember it like it was yesterday and that's why this podcast's name feels like 45 um and it's been a good one Dustin I can't tell you how much I enjoy doing this with you again and uh yeah hopefully we're talking about a big time blowout win next week against Kansas um by the time you and I talk again next week Dustin any final thoughts before we sign off and let these people go no, just thanks to you for doing the pod with me. Thanks to all the listeners. We really appreciate it. Having a ton of fun. Keep sending in the questions. Yep. Like Cade said, the voicemails are our favorite, but if you want to send them in through Twitter, if you don't have time for the voicemail, that's fine too. Just, just appreciate less, you guys. Way less cool. Having a great time. Yeah, yeah. Way less cool. Way less cool. We appreciate you guys. wrestling questions. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. I'll Ask answer. us questions and then you tell us where we went wrong. Yeah. Oh, I think Siri... I think Siri's kicking us off, Dustin. I've enjoyed it, man. Hey, go Astros. I know you're wanting to get off and watch World Series. So we are signing off. This has been the Feels Like 45 podcast with Cade Webb and Dustin Ragusa, and we will talk to you next week.